Deja Vu A novel by Ian Hocking Read by the author This novel is copyright Ian Hocking 2005 and was first published by the UKA Press. Please see www.ianhocking.com for further details. Chapter 27 Saskia lifted her head and licked her dust-covered lips. Her eyes were dry and raw. She looked around for Bruce and saw that he had gone. She must have lost consciousness and been unable to answer his calls. As much as she was scared, she was satisfied. The coincidence was extraordinary, but the explanation clear. Hartfield was dead. The time machine had redirected him according to Ego's instructions, who had been carrying out her own plan. That said, it was difficult to feel responsible. The structure seemed solid again, though moments before the walls and ceiling had ground together like teeth, they were now still. The illusion of immobility had returned. Saskia stood. Ahead of her, southwards and away from the nearest stairway, the emergency lighting had failed. She had seen Helen Proctor fall into that blackness. Saskia clambered over. She stepped on cabling, masonry and other debris. Her intention was clear. She would save this woman's life and repair the lives of David and Jennifer. She would give them the opportunity to avoid the pain that was in store. But Helen was destined to die and Saskia was destined to survive, just as the young girl called Uta Schmidt was destined to be raped and Kate Falconer was destined to be killed and live again as Data. A tear cut through the dust on her cheek. So her arms were pinned by time, by an unthinking, controlling God-not-God that would never ask her permission, would only pull her strings this way and that. For what was fate but the pulling of strings? She was a marionette, but Jobinique had not controlled her because he had not controlled himself. He was as predestined as every other man, woman, an object in the universe from the beginning of time. She collapsed, defeated. Are you okay? She wiped the hair from her eyes. There was a woman standing before her. It was Helen Proctor. Listen to me, you're going to be fine. You listen, Saskia said. Your daughter, Jennifer. The woman frowned. Jennifer? Saskia felt a small chip of masonry strike her head. My name is Saskia. Your daughter will grow into a beautiful young woman. I'm from the future. Jennifer loves you. Helen smiled. Saskia smiled too. She had got through. You're going to be all right, Helen said. You've had a knock on the head. Saskia's smile switched off. No, listen to me. The ceiling splintered. They were three metres from the spot where, twenty years later, David Proctor and Harrison McWhorter would look up to see a crack appear. The gap grew wider. The ceiling opened. Saskia saw the steel joist fail. Fist-sized pieces of concrete began to rain. 
she pulled Helen to the floor and flung herself on top. She turned to look up into the abyss. Daggers of masonry were poised. Kill me then. Prove me wrong. It opened. She felt the building hit the ground around her. Sharp edges cut and scratched. Ribbons of metal stopped centimetres from her neck, her abdomen and her legs. Then it was over. The dust was thick as smoke. Coughing, she remembered her hood and pressed the button to close it. Nothing happened. The computer was broken. She stood and wafted the dust away. Helen, get up! But as the murk thinned, Saskia knew that Helen was dead. The ceiling had fallen to leave her own body untouched, but a finger of steel had passed through Helen's skull. Clear fluid ran from the wound. Her breathing was shallow. Saskia put a hand to her cheek. I am so sorry. She heard a man calling, Helen, Helen. It was David. His face was young and angry. Saskia stepped back. He took Helen's hand and held it to his cheek. Saskia touched his face and left. She was not destined to know him. She found a stairwell and pushed at a door. Then she remembered. She still had to write the message to herself. The door immediately to her left was hanging from its hinges. She wandered inside. It was a storage room. There were cans of spray paint on a far shelf. She put her hand among the cans, closed her eyes and pulled one at random. She checked the label. It was a security paint visible only in infrared light. Saskia shook her head. It was a security paint visible only in infrared light. Saskia shook her head. She remembered her confusion when she had read that cryptic message on the wall, seconds after Garrel left her alone in the darkened corridor, and she remembered the envelope. There was a door in the cupboard, and it led to a room full of office supplies. She felt dizzy with fatalism. Even the hand of the architect had not been his own. She took a pen, an envelope, a plastic folder, and printed the word Moonin on the reverse of a laminated ID card, which was useless in the year 2003. The word would be read in 20 years' time. She tried to write something else, as an artistic flourish, a token rebellion, but could think of nothing to add. She sealed the envelope, addressed it, and returned to the corridor. David had gone. Helen remained. Saskia put the envelope inside the plastic folder. She put the folder beneath the rock that had killed Helen. On the wall, she wrote, in German, By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Then an arrow pointing to the rock. She threw down the can and ran away from Helen. She made it to the stairwell and, from there, to the surface. The exit was at the rear of the hotel. Saskia emerged into weak daylight. A temporary field hospital had been erected on the lawn. Army ambulance crews stood by. Shocked personnel walked slowly and silently nowhere. Some cried. Saskia feigned a breathing problem. An ambulance took her to a nearby hospital. An hour later, she escaped.
Night came to the woodland. The moon was large. Saskia started a fire. One of her many foster parents, Hans, had been a wandersman. He had taught her how to make fire using a wooden bow drill, but there was a fire starter in the small survival kit in a flight suit. Nothing else in the suit worked. It was smashed and torn. She collected moss, dry kindling and some logs. She thought about Helen. She had known her for seconds, but she felt responsible for her death. At the same time, she felt responsible for nothing at all. The fire starter was spring-loaded and efficient. The fire caught and she tended it. The stars were closer in 2003 than they would be in 2023. The sphere of humanity, the reach of its radio and television signals, was smaller. Just as she had looked from the car window upon her arrival in Edinburgh, surprised by its familiarity, she looked now at the trees around her. Conifer, oak, sycamore, beech, horse chestnut. She had seen them all in Germany with Hans. She noticed the pink sheets protruding from the map pocket on her thigh. She glanced through them. Most were incomprehensible. The penultimate page was headed Financial Times for the Betting Lady. It contained a list of British Prime Ministers and American Presidents since 2001, some British Grand National winners and all of the Football World Cup winners prefixed with bloody. On the final page were the words So, good luck and bon voyage. Love, David. P.S. If you could stick a flask of soup in the glider for when it gets chilly, I'd be much obliged. And one of those space blankets, like they have in marathons. PPS. Oh, make sure the bike is fast. PPPS. Nothing vegetarian. I'll be weak enough as it is.